As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. This baseball show is presented by BetMGM on Thursday, October 5th. We have no previews to talk about. That sucks. Like all four wild card series going two games kind of pissed me off, but like performance of some teams kind of irked me as well. So we'll get into that. Jack and Aram, uh, you had the Diamondbacks take down the Brewers. You had the Rangers take down the Rays. The Twins beat the Blue Jays. Then you had the Phillies beat the Marlins. So we're going to go series by series. We're going to talk about the team that won. We're also going to kind of eulogize the team that lost their 2023 season. We're saving the previews. You'll either hear a podcast tomorrow or a live show on Saturday, or a podcast on Saturday. I think that's probably the one that's going to happen. Um, you were just in Philly, and you watched – you you were in a great environment. It wasn't your environment, but that Stott Grand Slam seemed, like, really special. Dude, it was awesome. I I, I was there just to, to take in some playoff baseball. I mean, it felt like uh... – house money that the Marlins w- were in it. You know, if someone was asking me how I felt and I was saying, it's like, I found a $20 bill on the ground, uh, threw it in a slot machine and just got a few like free spins out of it. Like I wasn't expecting to win anything, but it was fun. Um, but just kind of taking in the playoff atmosphere, you know, I, I I'd gotten a taste of that in uh, the world series against the rays, you know, right. Was it 2008, 2009? I think it was 2008. Um, that was awesome, but I was also young uh, so being able to kind of see it through a different lens now was really cool. Um, the, the Philly fans, dude, they just, they get up like none other. I mean, the place was packed. There wasn't a, a seat open hour before the game. Uh, people were standing up 90% of the game. 
And I mean, this was a wild card round where they were expecting to win. Like I'm, I'm imagining what that atmosphere is going to be like when they, you know, take on the Braves again this year. Uh, the difference of this year versus last year is that, you know, now these Phillies fans, they really know what this team is capable of. And that's a scary thing. There's just like a little bit of arrogance to, to the fans that maybe they didn't have to the same degree last year. I know Philly fans always have this, this confidence, but you know, there's also this like, ah, oh, we're, we're going to come up short or whatever kind of energy that they've had for, for a while. You, you, you feel the confidence in the bank. I can tell you that. And I love it. I love it. The fans were, were a lot of fun. Yeah, we might as well just start with this series. Um, and I don't mean like any disrespect at all from this question because I genuinely don't know the answer. When you watch that game on TV, it's all red. I didn't see a single Dude. teal. I like do did Marlins fans travel for this or no. did Philly fans just swoop up the tickets and that was that? Yeah. You know, I think there's a little of both, but you know, there was there were portions of Marlins fans at City Field, there were portions of Marlins fans at in, in Pittsburgh to wrap up the series. I think I saw one other Marlins fan uh there. Like I and I was wearing my dad's uh like old uh old teal like 2003 Marlins champion shirt. So like and and obviously got some like chirps here and there, and I was just yeah. like, it was fun. Uh, but you're I the only I person to of, chirp. I literally the only one, and they're like poverty franchise. I was like, I agree. Yeah, you know. But it, there was there was I think one other person I saw. I, it, it's that was the amazing part. I've never really seen anything like that. And I know the Marlins don't have a ton of fans in that, like all that stuff. But there's something about Philly just just buying it out. Uh, and, and I think there's there's a level to that as well. Like it was it was all red. I think that was a fair takeaway. Yeah. Do you think they have what it takes to beat Atlanta? Yeah. I mean, I picked the Marlins just to be a homer. Um, but I we we did do the preview and I, I just I was kind of saying that I don't think anybody can, you know, really beat Atlanta. I think Atlanta is going to kind of bludgeon anybody. But this is a team that I'm just not going to count out again. Like, I'm not going to make the same mistake. I said the same thing last year, you know, and, and we'll, we're going to talk about things that I said that were wrong on this episode. That's going to be a pretty good trend here. But I think this team can always do something like when you have a hall of famer, you know, and you have a catcher like JT and you have Zach Wheeler who becomes so special and, you know, a bunch of guys that were literally just there and Trey Turner finally looking like, Oh, we could go on and on and on. Like this team has the goods to beat anybody and it's baseball. Uh, but I've just, I'm going to back the Braves. Like I just feel like they're going to bludgeon anybody if they play right. Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried about the starting pitching for Atlanta, to be totally honest. And like you see what happens in those home games. I just don't think that Truist can look like the bank at any points, unfortunately. And I don't mean that as a knock on the Braves, but Peter and I just talked about this on yesterday's show where like, I don't know, it's just a different beast. They have a new gear in the Philly fan base. Sorry, Braves fans, like Philly fans are just better than Atlanta fans. They oh, have a God. certain thing that makes them get louder. Like, I, I don't know. It, it might be they have like something else going on in their vocal cords. I've got no idea. I can just close my eyes and see the YouTube comments and the uh, Twitter replies. And oh, that's fine. Atlanta fan. I will say you can read them. I won't. Fans go scorched earth on social media as much as anybody. Um, yeah. I will say the, the brave fans, they'll pack truest pretty good. Like they will, but I, I agree. Like there's just something different about Philly. Like it, it, and I've been to both and I've been to both in a playoff setting. Like both are awesome. And I think Atlanta is an underrated environment, but 
Yeah, I mean, what what Philadelphia does. And then the other side of it, you mentioned being nervous about the pitching. I know we're not going to preview and stuff like that. But um, the one thing that I really noticed, like when you're when you have rooting interest for a team, you can kind of like measure, you know, kind of like, oh, I feel calmer when they're at this point in the lineup or, oh, like I'm on edge because this is the part of the lineup that is going to be hard to get through. I was pretty much on edge until Christian Pache got up. Yeah. You know, and, and even he, like, he works his walks now and, and you know, and then y- Johan Rojas, like, he's fast and he's a good nine hitter. So it's really one through seven, like, you're on edge completely, one through seven. All of those guys can kill you. And then eight, nine, like, they're not great, but they're fast and, like, you know, and they play elite defense, so they make up for it. So that's the one side with the Phillies that kind of resonated with me here where I was just like, this lineup, man, there's no breaks and they can kind of suffocate you. And I will say I was wrong about Nola, too. I agree with you with the Phillies lineup. Um, I didn't think Nola was going to throw well yesterday because he hadn't thrown well against Miami in his last two starts. And I I mentioned it yesterday, like this guy had two really good starts to open the postseason last year, two really bad starts, or I guess three pretty bad starts to end the postseason last year. And yeah. I don't I I just didn't have much faith and he shut me up and I I have to tip my cap there um a lot like Ivaldi but for a different reason I have faith in postseason Ivaldi um I mean I'm excited I, to talk about that yeah, yeah I was yeah. just doubting the health and like he, yeah healthy that's pretty clear um Nola I was just dead wrong and I'll admit that I was dead wrong there I thought he was going to struggle that guy was on cruise control I thought Garrett was going to cruise a little bit more than he did, but in that environment, it's kind of impossible because the water is so choppy. I honestly was pretty impressed with him. Um, you know, I know it's like not when you look at the stat line, it doesn't look great because you know you're used to seeing five, six innings, seven innings, meaning good start. But I mean, he, he struck out a handful of guys. What do you have? Five punch outs, like battled out there. I thought he could have went one more, to be honest, but. You know, the Marlins had the whole bullpen ready. And of course, Robertson comes in and gives up one last bomb for, for old time's sake. But uh, I, I thought, I thought Brax battled, to be honest, I thought he was pretty good. Um, and it, especially considering that the, the kind of stuff he has, you know, he's a finesse guy and, and really was able to get a lot of swings and misses against a lot of really good hitters. So I, I thought he gave them a chance and kind of did his job. And if they let him go one more inning, I would have really said, okay, he definitely did his job. Nola. I mean, the, and I'm ex- I'm very interested to see the umpire scorecard. Um, I, that's not an excuse at all. Like he pitched really well, but Nola is so good with everything running down and bottom of the zone and just kind of wearing that out that when you're giving him a little bit more, he can exploit that. And that's exactly what he did. So props to him on that. Like he was just abusing that one ball off, ball and a half off and just pounding the bottom of the zone. And and the Marlins really couldn't do anything about it. I'm interested to see how Nola looks against the Braves, though. Like I, I do, I don't think he throws well against the Braves. I was more impressed with Wheeler, who I thought looked like he could have dominated any lineup in Major League Baseball. Nola, yeah, I, it was a great outing. He definitely responded and did better than we expected. But I do wonder, like, if that stuff and 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 the way he's looked, like, he's going to play the same way against an Atlanta Braves team because Wheeler, if he throws the way he threw. I think I think he could shut down the 27. Well, obviously, there's everyone can say, well, anyone could shut down the 27 Yankees. But you know what I mean? Like, I think he could shut down the best lineup in baseball uh, w- looking the way he looked in game one. I mean, it was it was one of the best starting performances I've seen, you know, in, in a couple of years, maybe. And that's why we, just the way he was commanding his stuff. 
that's why we have plus stats. You know, the, they'll yeah. prove that the 27 Yankees are, you know, fine comparably to Zach Wheeler, although, yes, accuse him of witchcraft, yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah, I think that Nola gets lit up against Atlanta, but, you know, like I thought he was going to get hit well against Miami, so I am abstaining from Aaron Nola thoughts. Uh, wrapping up your thoughts on the Marlins, where do they go from here? Because I did think that this was a really good season. The sentiment Absolutely. that I saw from the Marlins fan base was – this was a resounding success with the first year manager with this payroll, with the deadline moves they made overall, like a plus plus of a season. Now it's time to elevate and kind of make moves between the margins. And you think there's what three positions that they need to make moves at shortstops, shortstop and catcher are our number one. And, and that's the crazy thing is like, those are the two most important positions you could argue. Yeah. And they made the playoffs, you know, deficient in those two spots. So, I think those are two spots that they're going to have to try to figure something out, you know, and I think they will. Um, but the fact that Kim kind of already got the offseason rolling by going to get, you know, Jake Berger and going to get Josh Bell, two guys that will be there next year. I mean, Bell will have to opt in. I'm fairly positive he will. Berger's under control for five years. Like that, that part helps a lot. And then, yeah, I agree. They got to make some moves here and there. The one thing I want to talk about with the Marlins, though, Araya is battling on one leg. Like you just, put some good swings on balls. that just didn't fall. He lined out like three times in the, in the two games. Uh, but it was just awesome to see him battle jazz chisel, man. I I, I want to talk about him really briefly here. Cause like, I, I love the, the persona and the moxie and it, that that is good for the game. People like him, even Phillies fans were like, Oh yeah. Like he's, he's got swag. Like everyone likes him because he's fun. You know, he's he's this larger than life character by the way that he carries himself because nobody should be that confident. And it's funny, but there's a level of like. I feel like when stuff gets really serious, right, when you're getting to the postseason, let's lock in, let's like let's slow the act for a bit and like let's play ball. And I mean, I, I, there was just a level and I feel like a boomer, but I mean, we're, we're here talking about I'm an alien. The lights, you know, we're big, better in the lights. I mean, the the guy was swallowed by the moment. Yeah. I, I don't care what anybody says. He goes, oh, he, he got hosed by umpires. Umpires didn't make him square to bunt, you know, it, it, in, in the second at-bat of the postseason when they needed him to swing away. It was two outs. He squares to bunt twice, two called strikes, and then swings at a breaking ball in the dirt. Uh, I mean, there was just several moments where, especially at the plate, it just seemed like the moment was too big. And so just for a guy, and it, that's okay. He's young. Hey, this is technically a second postseason because of the you know 2020, but this is his first real postseason. This is a crazy environment. He's on a team where a bunch of guys haven't been there before. He's playing a new position. He's done a lot of things fantastic this year. But I don't know. This is where it kind of got old for me. Where I'm an alien. This and that. You know, I, I'm the best thing in the world. And you haven't proven that much yet, man. Like you haven't even played a full season. So I get why he's he's confident he's super talented he can be a superstar but you haven't done shit yet so I, I i like him having fun but there's a certain line where it's like go earn it and he didn't run hard down the line his first soft ground out to second base where i thought he could have put pressure on on stott in game one then he has that uh, atrocious at bat right after that with the parasac bunts and he's hitless in the whole series you know he makes the one good throw in center field that's it I just I, I thought it was disappointing for a guy that, you know, loves to try to bring the spotlight in his direction. 
Yeah. What do you think the OPS cutoff is for a guy to be considered an alien? And then <laughs> second question, what do you think the OPS cutoff is for somebody to call themselves an alien? Definitely above 800. I'll start there. I think it's and probably that's human. A lot of humans have an 800 OPS. I, I think yeah. 950 is alien category. I think and, Acuna and, and Otani, who are both 1,000 OPS guys, I th- 1,000 might be alien. Too. Alien. Yeah, or yeah, that's the thing. And then also you have the, oh, yeah, I think I can put up numbers with the Acunas and whatever. Then go do it, bro. Do it. He's like, stop saying it. Do it. Like, that. that's if I get a chance to play a full season. Work harder to stay healthy. Like I, I'm, I'm just, a, I'm a little exhausted of of the act there because I, this was the moment where I'm like, okay, he can go crazy, he can rise to the moment because this is what he's all about. This is what we've been sold. Not the case. It was just two games, but again, it's more the mental side that was kind of frustrating me more than like the oh, you know, you're not always going to hit well. You're not two tough pitching matchups. Historically, not good against Nola. Wheeler was fantastic, but again, like it was more the mental side not busting it down the line, this, this, the fake bunts. Like, it, those things are just not what you want from him, especially when he's hitting the middle of your order. Who did this season prove to you on the Marlins roster? Who on the roster did 2023 validate for being on the roster in 24 that maybe you didn't think should have been on the roster in 24 coming into the year? So, like, Jazz should have been on the 24 roster coming into the year exclude Berger and Bell because they weren't there, but like Sandy, Lazardo, Yuri Perez, they were all going to be on the roster in 24. Yeah. Is there a guy that like this year, yeah. his performance made you think he's worthy of an opening day spot in 24? Braxton Garrett. Yep. And, and I know that sounds like, because at this point that sounds like, well, he was always a guy. Not really. When you go into the start of this season, I mean, there were conversations of, of trading him for, kind of for, for whatever you can get, like just trying to cash in, um, especially when we talk about the Marlins rotational depth, no one was factoring in Braxton for 24, 25. Everyone was saying, oh, and in addition, we have Braxton when you filled out your five-man rotation, you know, whether it was a couple prospects littered in there or not. Point is, he was always on the outside looking in. To me, and I saw it again last night, he's a middle-of-the-rotation starter in the big leagues. You look at the numbers, his numbers are arguably better than that over the course of the season. Career high in innings, gets more whiffs than you'd expect. I, number one guy for me is Braxton Garrett. That really solidified himself as you pencil him in as your number three starter next year, and you feel pretty pretty damn good about it. Technically, we'd probably slot in at four, depending on Sandy's health, but yep. the point stands. Like I'd feel good about that guy being a three for you know, any rotation. Got you. Um, and Skip did a great job, and Kim should get yep. an extension. Like That's just how that works. Things are heading in the right direction. It's the first time I can I can say that, I think, with this team. 100%. Other National League wildcard series, Arizona swept Milwaukee in Milwaukee 5-2. Alec Thomas went yard in a postseason game in 2023. I didn't think that was going to happen, but it did. I said that Gallon may go kill mode uh, on yesterday's show. He didn't. But his ability to bounce back from that two-run first and work five more scoreless after that, and he did not cruise by any means. He walked three. He scattered hits. He had those two early runs. His ability to lock it in after that two-run first was really impressive. So I still think that was a really strong outing from Gallen. Arizona's offense, man, they look good enough. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and to your point, that's that's a shit, right? When you... Yes. When you don't have it going and you're a little bit off and you give up a couple runs in the first 
and you can still battle. I'm going to tightrope my way through six. It was two in the first, and then he finished with six innings of two-run ball. Yeah, I, it was awesome. I, I love how how Euro you are right now, ripping the Pellegrino during the episode, too. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to the Lisbon Aquarium after this. I'm really excited. That's electric. I, I'm jealous. Uh, yeah. I, I want to apologize. You know, and this is something that I, I mentioned, like, on Twitter. It's just I, I, I made a mistake on the podcast, and I was raised to be more thoughtful and and think about my words a bit more. But I said that the Brewers were going to make a run. And, I mean, I don't know why. Like I, if you if if I did my research, if you look at history, if you just embrace what we have been told over the last couple of years and understand the reality of the situation, what we've been shown, the Brewers don't play well in the playoffs. They choke, and Game One epitomizes it for me, man. They put seven pitchers out there, Jack seven. I don't know if you saw my text in the staff chat about this today. Seven pitchers out there. They give up six runs. Those six runs came from two pitchers. Corbin Burns and Devin Williams. Five other relievers were lights out. How is that team going to win? And I'm going to get to Devin Williams in a second. I think Corbin Burns is good as gone. I really do. I mean, we we, we talked about it so much in the offseason, all of you know, the nightmare that was the arbitration situation. And, you know, I just don't think he's been happy with, with that front office for a while now. Yep. Devin Williams has had moments where he hasn't been thrilled with the front office. But, but th- that doesn't even matter. You're in the postseason. You had a good season. This looked like a little bit of a different team. Yelich is back. Yelich played his ass off this series, by the way, and, yeah. and did everything he could. I think he had four or five hits. But for me, to for your two guys, like you, if you're going to go anywhere, it's got to be behind Corbin Burns and Devin Williams. And instead, you get lights out, you know, appearances from Hobie Milner and Abner Uribe. And like all of those guys do their job. Like literally, Corbin Burns goes four innings of four run ball. Uribe, scoreless inning. Elvis Aguero, two thirds of, of, of scoreless ball. Milner, two thirds of scoreless ball. Joel Piams, an inning and two thirds, scoreless. Devin Williams, two thirds of an inning two earned runs, and then Bryce Wilson gets the last out there. I mean, when those are your two guys giving up the runs, man, like you got no shot. And that's how you give up an opportunity and give up the pitching advantage that was Burns versus Brandon Fott. That's how you botch it right there, and that's exactly what they did. This was the National League team that gave me the most clarity on their situation. I have a very similar sentiment when it comes to an American League team, and I'm sure you can pluck which American League team I'm going to have this thought about, but – Milwaukee, man, like this was as much of a look in the mirror series as you could possibly find in the National League. And I think that they need to go into the offseason. I think his name is Matt Arnold. I think Matt Arnold is the new GM of the Milwaukee Brewers. You could have stumped me on that. Dude. Yeah, like I, it's tough. Um, but I do think that it's Matt Arnold. I He was talking during, um, I don't know, Terang hit a grand slam when he was on the Brewers broadcast. I remember like he was in there. They put up a seven spot. And then Brian Anderson was like, you're never leaving. And I think it's Matt Arnold. But um, the lead execs for the Milwaukee Brewers will need to seriously shift things up, I think, this offseason. And I do think Burns is as good as gone, like you're saying. Um, I think Devin is there to stay. But mm-hmm. 
they need to look at adding some star power. And Corbin Burns is star power. It's clear that he's not the star power Milwaukee needs. I think that he's star power that other teams need. Milwaukee needs a three-hitter so badly. Yelich has turned himself into an amazing leadoff man again, maybe even in the two-hole. But they need to find a 40-homer threat. Not a guy that's going to hit 40, but has the capability of hitting 40. And Rowdy Teles is not that guy. No, no. And, and William Contreras can blossom into, I think, a special piece for you. But there, he's not there yet. You no. need more. Like, they won the division convincingly. They need more. And it's funny. I honestly think they should go younger, too. Like, stop trying to fill it in with, with Carlos Santana and Josh fucking Donaldson. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you even have Tyrone Taylor, who I know technically is young. But I, I'd rather see yeah, if you're going to try to piece it together that way, if you're not, you know, because Milwaukee just never gets the star, right? I agree with you, but are they going to do it? I doubt it. it I, instead of seeing Mark Canna, who I know actually played well, yeah. uh, I, I just, for the course of 162, I'd rather see them go younger. Um, and they've got some options. So I, I'm interested to see how it all shakes out. I don't want to see Jesse Winker out there anymore. Mm-hmm. There's several guys I just have no interest in seeing out there anymore. But the the one thing that I think is is really interesting with this team is, you have the emergence or the reemergence of Yelich. So how's he feeling good? You've got William Contreras looking like a, a fantastic piece. Sal Freelix showed out really well. Uh, Willie Adamas finally kind of settled back in as he got healthy and in, in, in the latter part of the season. Uh, Freddie Peralta has been healthy and looks good. Woodruff's a big question mark now with the shoulder, and now you're probably going to lose Burns. So they got a lot to figure out on the pitching side now, too, to kind of fill it all back up again. And I think they got to figure out who the pieces are in the lineup. They've got a lot of solid I would say complimentary pieces, but to your point, they need to figure out who who the producers are. Uh, and I think it's, you got to look at the positions at third base and first base, the two power spots where they have nothing there right now. So that that's the really obvious thing for me there is like, okay, those are the two most premium power positions and we'll see if maybe they'll throw some money at like a Jorge Soler or something um, where I get, I know that's not a superstar, but again, that's a guy that has the capability of running into 40, you know, 35, 40 home runs. Yeah. And give me some production at second base too. If you can find it, hopefully Terang bounces back and you know, he doesn't go into a slump. I like Tyler Black. I know you like Tyler yeah, Black. Yeah. Tyler Black. Go is young really then. Either, you got to go one way or the other. I think so, you either go young or, or try to find an impact guy. Enough of this like middling Carlos Santana types. I'm not, I'm just out on that. And an, and an all young lineup does not mean that you're going to win in the postseason. And I think that's Milwaukee's goal. We need to understand what Milwaukee's goal is because the way that they are constructed, their goal seems to be get there, but not advance past that. And we've seen that year after year after year. I feel great about their catching situation with William Contreras and Carroll waiting in the wings. I feel great about Willie Adamas at shortstop. You get more offensive production from Adamas at short than half the teams in baseball, maybe 20 of the teams in baseball. That guy is a legit 30 homer threat at shortstop. Find me a first baseman or a third baseman or a right fielder that can hit 30 homers. I thought Renfro was the right guy, but Renfro wasn't on the team. Yelich being back is great. If you can give me a big four, a front four of Yelich, Adamas, Contreras, and somebody else that's really good, I can start to believe in your ability to advance just a teensy bit more. But I had zero faith. No, they they were rumored to be, you know, discussing some iterations of trades with the Mets about Pete Alonso. I think and that's that, perfect. That's the perfect guy. I mean, that's exactly what you're describing here, right? And Pete Alonso just hired uh, Boris. Scott <laughs> Boris. So we'll see how that goes. 
I don't think Milwaukee would be able to pay him. So that that's, that's an entirely different situation here. Uh, but maybe they can try to find some sort of trade out there. They do have prospect capital. They do have some, some guys that are kind of blocked. So it should be interesting. Last thing I want to mention, I don't like piling on guys, but half of this was very preventable. Devin Williams has let the Brewers down big time the last two years. Obviously last year punches a freaking wall and just blows his hand up. That I mean, that's the epitome of letting your team down. And then of course, performance, you're going to struggle sometimes, but after you punch a wall, you better be good the next postseason. Like that, that's the thing to me. Like if you're going to do that, you better be good. And he wasn't good. He he hurt them pretty badly. So that's been, that's been a tough one to, to watch because Devin Williams, is one of my favorite relievers in the game. Uh, and, and I love the way that he pitches, but man, but between the last two years here, I mean, Brewers fans have every right to be very frustrated with him because he's let them down in two different types of ways and both very frustrating. Yeah. Now's the time where I hyper analyze Paul Seawald tossing his hat and glove to the side like they just won the World Series when they won the wild card series. I think he was ready to dogpile. Uh, but what I really appreciated was Seawald is like the vet on the field at that point. All the young guys, Corbin Carroll was glove on top of his hat and he was giving the rest of the outfielders high five like, hey, we have more work to do. That, I think, was my favorite part. It felt businesslike. And yes, they celebrated. But man, like this Arizona team can accomplish a whole lot more. And getting this done in two as opposed to three, I think is massive. Because you've got a rested Kelly that's going to go game one on Saturday. You probably have Gallon go. I think that would be a day short rest. And then fought game three, run it back with Kelly game four. And you go back to Gallon if you need to in game five. I think it lines up well for them. And the offense, man, we talked about Moreno's nuke, talked about Carroll going yard. Thomas sneaking one just over the yellow line on the pull side was great to see. There's length here that I was not expecting in the postseason because there are points where a Gabby Moreno, who did struggle to hit for power this year, where a Gabby Moreno can go invisible for a couple games. And Alec Thomas, I was pretty much expecting him to go entirely invisible and his value was going to be defensively. The fact that those guys are not disappearing, and I've got a similar thought with the Rangers, spells such good things. And I think maybe they can scare the Dodgers just a little bit. I don't know if they win it, but I think they could scare them. I, I, I agree. I mean, I definitely undersold the D-backs. I mean, they, they kind of limped to the finish line offensively and you, you got Gallon and Kelly, but then you're like, okay, who else is, who else is going to step up here? The way that it's worked out too, though, I love the, the confidence that they had to go with Brandon fought game one, because like you said, now you got Merrill Kelly to start things off, you know, in the next series, which is huge because it should be Brandon fought going against the Dodgers, which you could just chalk up as a loss automatically, right? Yeah. You could chalk that up as five homers. So that's the craziest part is is they kind of I think they put themselves in a position like we think we can win this in two. If not, worst case, we win it in three and we have Kelly game three. I I respect the hell out of that move. Nobody's more confident in the Diamondbacks than the Diamondbacks. I, I think what makes them so scary too. Well, one Moreno is playing like the, the best catcher in baseball right now. Like yeah. and he's been that for two months defensively, offensively. I've always slammed like, a pound to the table. This guy has power. He has power. He just has to find a way to like tap into it consistently in games, and we're seeing flashes of that. He limits the running game. He does everything so well. So that's a guy that's a, a big game changer for you. 
But is there, I mean, outside of, you know, the obvious, I think Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte is one of the scariest one-two punches at the top of a lineup that you can find right now, yes. especially with the speed, the power, the ability to grind out at bats. Those are two guys that just, they can start the game real quick. You know, ba- uh, Bailey was talking about foolish baseball. Like he feels like every game Mookie and Freddie start on first and third. And I feel like that's kind of where Corbin and Cattell are right now. It's like, it feels like those guys are just setting them, setting up the team right away every single time. Well, Carroll's going to get on base. We know that. And he can park a couple. Sure. Um, Cattell Marte getting good again is like one of the better stories in baseball this year because he looked like a liability and he looked like a borderline sunk cost last year after he signed that massive extension. Now he looks every bit the part of what seemed to be a team friendly extension at the time. Cattell is as much of a spark plug as Corbin Carroll is for this offense, I think. And Carroll, there's something comforting about a rookie being this consistently productive. You're never going to get a bad day from Corbin Carroll. That's including the postseason. He's a star. He's a star. He's, he's, he's a already, borderline superstar. He's a rare, he's a rare rookie superstar, basically. And and that's the difference here. Is like we're not looking at him in the same light, I think, when you look at the lineup as like, you know, some other MVP candidates. But honestly, that's what he's going to perform as. And you're going to start to see him in that light as he, you know, builds his his resume a little bit. But yep. he's performing like a like an MVP candidate right now. And that's what he is at the top of the order supplemented by another guy who's playing like an all-star and then a solid lineup behind him. I mean, this team goes where Corbin Carroll and, and Cattell Marte take them, I think, at the top. And then, of course, the pitching side. And for the vet to be the volatile one is so crazy. I would just think that Carroll would be the volatile one, but that's just not the case whatsoever. Marte is is that guy. Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I'll save the preview stuff for you guys that you guys are going to do on Saturday. But – it lines up well. I think it's going to be Kelly and Kershaw game one, Gallon and Miller game two, and then either Pepio or Sheehan against Fott in game three, and then maybe uh. the other against Kelly in game four and game five likely circles back to Gallon and Kershaw in a winner-take-all. And, I mean, that's vulnerable. That That's totally vulnerable for the Dodgers. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It is going to be really fun. American League now, the Twins flexed their muscles on the Blue Jays' ineptitude in Game 2. That's the word of Game 2. The quick pull of Barrios is insane, and the trail runner pick at second of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was more insane. Those two things are the things that jump out to me. I want to start with the Barrios decision because that was the biggest overthink. And I'm not a huge fan of the term overthink, but that was psyching yourself into a decision that was bad and wrong. I don't understand why they pulled Barrios after 47 pitches. I know that John Schneider wanted to get the lefty-lefty matchups. Wasn't Kirilov the first one that you went to the lefty-lefty matchup with? If you're going to do that, Commit to it and have Julianne be the first guy that you go to with that. It was so weird and backwards and forced, and Barrios was throwing well. And I thought the postseason was you throw all the numbers out and you let your dogs eat. And Barrios, in his return to Minnesota, he was shoving. He looked on. He looked like he was going to compete through six, and they didn't give him the opportunity to do so. 
and it pissed me off. I mean, that that was one of the most head-scratching moves, I think, in the history of, of the MLB postseason. I, I don't really know how else – like it's right up there with Snell getting pulled in the World Series, with Zach Britton – you know, just not being put in the game to, to close it out, to save him for a game that never happened. Like, it's up there. It's on the Mount Rushmore of just insane decisions in a game. But the craziest part is this decision probably came the night before. Like, this was a script that they had very clearly because you saw Kikuchi up in a second when Barrios was cruising. So, yes, like people are going to say, oh, it wasn't just John Schneider. It was the front office, but as the manager, you got to wear that, you know, like you are the face of that decision. When I didn't you go and see take Ross in the dugout. I didn't see Ross Atkins in there, like pushing John or like sending him a text like, Hey man, like I need you out there now or you're yeah. fired. Well, and the reality is like, they, they run that plan by, by John. Like I'm probably fighting tooth and nail at that point. And also like people are like, Oh, well, he's trying to keep his job. He's probably going to lose it anyways. <laughs> I, I I don't like. I know it's easier said than done, but I, I don't know I, if my guy is shoving like that, and you see Barrios cruising like he's cruising. I'm. There's been several instances in baseball history where managers go rogue, and if it goes right, you 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 can you can fix that situation. I'm not blaming it on John Schneider though, because he's in a just a really tough spot, and I think his hands have been tied most of the year by Ross Atkins and, and a front office here. That does overthink. That does, I think, overmanage uh, the team from top to bottom. And I thought this was just a classic example of that. How does this make any sense? You ride a pitcher who is cruising as long as you can. And, you know, you got to know when to pull him, though. We saw the other side of it. You know, the Brewers left Freddie Peralta a little too, in a little bit too long. And that's the hardest part of, of managing a postseason is having that feel. But guys in the front office don't have that feel because they're not in the dugout. They're not working with these players. They don't know you know, when they're just about to lose it or what it looks like when they're about to lose it or their body language. Like that's the difference. And that's the human aspect of that. And that's coming from someone who's very analytically driven. But the biggest thing for me is that you basically, I feel like you overthought it to the degree of, okay, we want them to burn their bench. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the strategy was there, right? Bring in the lefty Kikuchi, burn their bench. The lefties he faced to your point, Alex Kirilov and Matt Wallner. Who gives a shit if you're burning those guys? Wallner punches out 40% of the time. You're telling – I understand that he was, what, shortest odds to hit a homer in that series, whatever. Oh, they saw the – honestly, maybe the Jays saw the prop bets. I don't I don't fucking know. Like, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, Jays were on, pro, on prize picks before this. But, no, I – like, Wallner is minced meat for Jose Barrios. A guy of that caliber with that level of comfort – in a big moment, seeing a rookie Matt Walner, he will annihilate Walner. Yes. Barrios will kill him, and yes. he didn't get the opportunity to do so because we got cute. And and Kikuchi, who doesn't come out of the bullpen a ton, has been fine in that spot in, in instances. But I wonder if he knew to sleep the night before. Yeah. Do you think I, he got his 14 hours? I don't think he got his 14. That's a big part of it, too. But he probably did because you know why? Because it was a fucking plan way in advance. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I know you have to score to win. I, I get that. But I think they lost the team the second that happened. And there's a Whit Merrifield quote that will we'll fill that in that I have yeah. queued up. But real quick, yeah. what, what, what did you want to say? No, I mean, if if that script was done last night, 
you have to get it to you say at like 8 p.m. <laughs> that's now. actually that's true. The thing. Like you, you can't gotta get it make to that real early. At 10 and text him and be like, go to bed right now, right now. <laughs> <laughs> go right now. Take your NyQuil. See you in 15 hours. <laughs> um, Whit Merrifield, who is one of the most respected guys in the game, rarely speaks up on really like never is going to like hang his team out to dry. He is going to be a free agent. So I think at this point he's like, screw this. Yeah. What Merrifield on, and this is from Mitch Bannon, what Merrifield on Blue Jays taking out Jose Barrios early. And I quote, I hated it, frankly. It's not what cost us the game, but it's the kind of baseball decisions that are taking away from managers and baseball at this stage of the game. That tells you where Witt thinks it came from or knows it came from. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, man. I mean, Atkins has made some good moves. He's made a lot of questionable ones. And this team is stalled out. And I, I, you have to wonder how long until James Click just takes over. I know they gave Atkins an extension, I think, through 2026. But, man, I would if I was Blue, if the Blue Jays' owner, I'd hand the keys to, to James Click and say, go crazy. Uh, because I've seen enough of Ross Atkins, in my opinion. That's a crazy claim, but I, I'm totally for it. Like, that guy was being lauded, what, a year ago? Year and a half ago? Hell, I think after the Varsho move, he was being lauded. I, I get it. I mean, he's done good things. I, I just don't know if he is the kind of GM that's going to really take a team any further than than where they've been. And um, yeah, I mean, and they have a, one it, there in Cliff. And, and there's a reason why Schneider is the manager now, right? There's a reason why they kind of kept it in the family and 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 promoted him instead of you know, going out and bringing somebody else in. And remember, it was kind of a surprising firing because guess what? Previous manager wasn't, I don't think was going to have it to the same degree. Wasn't going to just let them, you know, tell him what to do and, and, and really be the kind of guy that's just going to let the front office kind of manage from, you know, from the box. I, I really think that was a big part of it. And I think that's part of the reason why we saw, you know, and I don't think he was great, but I think that's part of the reason why we saw Montoyo, you know, can't. Yeah, he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that's going to roll over and say, "Let you can manage my team for me." We did a mailbag, I think, a week and a half, two weeks ago, and one of the questions was, "Who do you think is a teardown rebuild candidate that people don't expect coming?" And I said Toronto and Houston because those two have a lot of money to pay to a lot of guys, yeah. and they're not going to be able to pay that many this could have kickstarted those conversations behind closed doors. I don't think we see anything close to a blow up and a tear down next year, but I think next year could be like the final audition, or maybe you scrap some parts and you bring in value guys instead of big ticket guys. The other quote that jumped out to me after this game, aside from the Whit Merrifield one, which was the greatest um, was Kevin Kiermeyer, who was asked about what his immediate future holds. And he said, quote, I'm going to let Otani set the market and hope the cards fall where they where they lie. Two-part reaction. Number one, I don't think Otani's market has anything to do with Kevin Giermeyer's, and I love that Kevin's that confident in his abilities. But two, I was mean, he not being satirical? No, I think he was being serious. No, he had to be clowning. I don't I, think so. I think he I was think being he was serious. just having fun. No way. There's no way. Why would he have fun after they just got swept in the wild card round? 
that is true. That's a bad time to crack a joke. It is a really bad time to crack a joke. And if it's that not a, a joke, joke, I'm like, no. wow, you are super confident in your abilities, Kevin I mean, I mean, have you seen how handsome he is? He's super handsome. Yeah, super duper handsome. But my second reaction to that is there's already a script that's tried and true when it comes to a cop-out free agent thing after you lose in the postseason. I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm going to take a couple weeks off. I'm going to get with my agent. You know, we'll decide the best course of action. That's that's recycled by five dudes in every clubhouse every single year. And he didn't say that. He said, I'm going to let Shohei fucking Otani set the market. Yeah. And I don't think he wants to be back. I'd guess that. The the last thing I want to say. That quote told me that he does not want to be back in Toronto. No, absolutely not. Neither does Witt. Um, yeah. and, and I think a lot of guys don't. So it's it's going to be interesting. Last thing I want to say is Charlie Montoyo, 91 and 71 in 2021. 46 and 42 at the time of being fired. You know, I think there was a little bit, you know, maybe something else at hand a lot of know, it. As, to, as to why he was fired. A lot of bit. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota, real quick. Oh, yeah. They're so dangerous. So dangerous. Sonny shoved. Correa looks like an anchor. Royce Lewis was quiet. Game two doesn't matter. He had a great game one. That bullpen, Duran, is it a blister? I don't know. He was still throwing 101 with those splinkers. Um, They can give Houston a run for their money big time, I think. This is not last year's Houston Astros team. This is not the year before's Houston Astros team. This is a more vulnerable team. It's not the beast anymore, I don't think especially with Luis Garcia out, especially with a couple of guys that are no longer on the roster. I think that Minnesota could be riding this crazy wave of confidence and momentum. And tell you what, man, I'm not going to be on the preview episode. Give me Minnesota to go to the ALCS. I, that's what I, that's what I had um, when I, that, when I did the, uh, our bracket on that episode to me, that was, I just I love the way they match up with the Astros here, and I mean Royce Lewis is a game changer. That's what we talked about. And this the thing about this Twins team is they didn't have a lot of overlap of a healthy Royce Lewis and a healthy Carlos Correa. And I think Carlos Correa, it's been a tough year for him health wise. I think he was really just trying to get right for this and empty the tank here. And he's doing it, man. He's swinging it. He's making great plays. And that's what I talked about. And also we're gonna talk about this series as it comes up. This is going to be a, a legacy series for Carlos Correa. Yes. I, I mentioned it on the episode. One of the most accomplished players in the postseason in baseball history already. And he's got hopefully plenty more years to play if his legs hold up. He's been here, done that. No one else on this team has really that near any level of, of playoff experience. So he's, you know, he's, he's the core. He's, he's, he's the kind of the heartbeat of this team. And I think he's really embraced the role well. And I think it's awesome that he is there. So he's a big, he's a big piece of, I think this team feeling comfortable, feeling like they belong and, and trying to kind of just setting the tone with his defense. I mean, that played to, to nab Bichette at home. Uh, and then of course, whatever he can do with the bat, but having a healthy Royce Lewis, who another guy that when he is on the field and right can perform at a, at a perennial all-star level. And then the, the younger guys settled in, you know, and Edward Julian who just, you know, continues to hit and all the different pieces that they have. What I love is how deep this team is too. You can pinch hit and it's not a steep drop off. You can mix and match and it's not a steep drop off. You can have lineups that are better against lefties, lineups that are better against righties. They've got a lot of options here. They, they've got a lot of ways to mix and match. And I think that's a big part of it too. And this pitching, man, I believe in it. I definitely do. 
Yep. All right. Last series that we got to get through here. Rangers Rays. I don't have many thoughts here. I thought this was a mutilation. It took until the seventh inning of game two when they were already down seven, nothing for Tampa to score their first run of the series. I'm going to throw you a really weird question when it comes to Tampa and maybe a question that's unfair to you. Um, But starting with Texas, they're riding a great wave and I doubted Eovaldi's health. I it's it's not fun doing that. It's never fun doubting a guy's health, but he had a nine and a half ERA in 20 innings in September. He didn't look like Nathan Eovaldi from pre-injury. He looked just fine yesterday and he dominated yesterday. Evan Carter has proven to be a freak. Josh Young is putting the ball where people aren't. Marcus Semyon is hitting seeds into the left center field alleyway. Corey Seager's on base every time you look. Adolis Garcia had a crazy pump. Lineup you know so crazy. Deep. You didn't what? even mention the three hitter. Sorry about it. Robbie Grossman. My apologies. Yeah, Peter's got a bone to pick with Robbie Grossman hitting third for Texas. Yeah. But, uh, Bruce, I think people forget that Bruce Bochy is the manager of the Texas Rangers. <laughs> so there's definitely some voodoo going on with Texas. Like Bochy's just there. It's not an even year, though, which is pretty interesting. Even years were his thing in the National League. Maybe in the American League, it's, it's odd years. Um, but man, this lineup is so good. Ivaldi looked so good. This Rangers Orioles series, like I'm, I gotta go to Kroger or something and get popcorn because, like, yeah. this totally fits the cliche of get your popcorn ready. Oh, I, I, I will be sitting 15 minutes before first pitch with my feet up, ready to go. Like yeah. it, that, this is one of those series. I'm totally with you. A lot, it's gonna be a lot of offense. I think some some good pitching performances sprinkled in, but Nate Ivaldi looking like that changes everything. Yeah. Because we saw what he looks like when he's healthy. And in the first half, that was Cy Young front runner. And then we, you know, we kind of quickly cast him aside, which I get because it's double TJ, you know, all, all of the, you know, ailments on top of that, you know, you, you have a forearm issue after double TJ. It's like, well, how is this going to look? And then you come back and you give up, you know, what was it? 15 earned runs and three starts to, to close out the season. Like that's scary. But then the fastball velocity sits 95, which is up two ticks from his last couple starts. He looked, again, like first half Nate Eovaldi. And that is a big time game changer because you know they're going to hit. You know that this offense, one through nine, and Evan Carter's your nine hitter. You're in in a good spot. They They can mash. I'm worried about the bullpen. We'll see how that plays out against Baltimore. And that's obviously advantage Baltimore. And we'll talk about all that in the preview episode. But they they found a little second wind here after a limp to the finish line. And, and that's fun because we know what this Rangers team looked like in the first half. So we talked about how our expectations kind of shifted because they set the bar so high for themselves. And yeah. then they shifted very low because we realized, hey, well, what were our, our expectations actually at the beginning of the season? Now I don't know what to expect with this team, but I'll say I feel as good as I felt about them since the first half. So that's great. For sure. No, I, I guess I'm there too. And I... There were a lot of people that were like, um, that were, I guess, accusing me of disrespecting the Rangers after I said that the Rays were going to bounce back. I don't think that's disrespect. Um, I think I just valued the Rays to be something they frankly haven't been over the last several years. And since 2020, this team has been, I think, the easiest first one out (laughs) in the postseason every single year. And we love them during the regular season. Every single year. And we love them during the offseason. Every single year. 
We love them because we know they're going to get there, but they haven't proven anything in the postseason. And this is the Chad Innings Eater meme. This is the big guy with, with you know, the chin protruding and the six-pack. You know, sometimes you just need dudes that can fucking mash, and it feels like the Rays just don't necessarily have that at all. Randy Arozarena is that guy. He is yeah, not he... the problem here. I'm leaving Randy out of this. He's the exception. But I'm throwing you in an impossible question right now, and I'm sorry. What do the Rays need to do to get better? Because that's never the question we ask about them. Yeah, I it, I think it's similar to the Brewers conversation. And it's just going to be a question of whether they but actually is it, do it. Is it pay somebody $200 million to be the three hitter? Because they don't do that. No, I, and I don't think it's necessarily that. I think it's just find a more established impact player. Because I love the way that they can piece it together in the regular season. And I think these are a lot of guys that are valuable in their roles right harold ramirez valuable in a role josh Lowe, valuable in a role um i, I put paredes in the boat of of everyday yeah right this paredes is great manuel margot like arguably valuable in a role taylor walls bench player curtis mead rookie who was hurt all year uh, junior caminero they just called him up renee oh. pinto they just brought him up like that part of it is interesting to me and it's like who do you fear in this lineup Paredes. I can tell you who I fear in the Rangers lineup. I can tell you who I fear in a lot of the other teams' lineups that, that we're going to talk about in the preview episode of teams that are still here. I, I fear Randy a little bit on the big stage. A lot Yanni of it. Diaz is, is scary. Other than that, I, I mean, dude, Harold Ramirez, Josh Lowe, that's the 3-4? Yeah. I, I fear Randy a lot a bit. I fear Yandy Diaz, and there is a sprinkle of fright when it comes to Isak Paredes. But aside from that, there's nothing there. Like, I we love Curtis Mead. As prospect people, we're all him. about Curtis Mead. But here's the thing, man. When Nathan Eovaldi sees a 21-year-old Curtis Mead, he's saying, I'm going to bully the crap out of you right now. That's what the postseason is. The postseason is literally a battle of testosterone. I do believe yep. that. And I uh, think that the Rays seem to lack some testosterone when they get to October. I mean, listen to this. Listen, I mean, Tell me that, that this sounds like a playoff lineup to you or a, a lineup that would score one run in the postseason. And this is the whole second half of, of the lineup in game one. Curtis Mead, who also had Jonathan Aranda pinch it for him. Manuel Margot, Taylor Walls, Jose Siri. And Renee Pinto. That's a perfect game type lineup if you run into Zach Wheeler in the postseason. That's a that's half of your lineup. Like that's that's a that's that's a team that's gonna stall out in the playoffs. That's yeah. just what's gonna happen. And and that's exactly what happened. It's it's unfortunate because Glass now going five innings of three run ball shouldn't be the nail in the coffin and getting scoreless scoreless ball the rest of the way i guess it was four runs three earned for for glass now i think so or did somebody else have an under run regardless the rest of the bullpen was solid too like it, 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 you shouldn't have no chance at that point and they I had think... no chance siri was brutal by the horrible. horrible jose siri i think was was a huge problem but again they didn't hit so it doesn't matter uh I, you can't have manuel margot taylor walls and jose siri back to back to back you just as a playoff team you absolutely cannot so to answer your question they need a, an outfielder who can swing it. They've tried to spend money in certain spots. Like we know that they made a tangible, you know, substantial offer to Freddie Freeman. They've made offers in the past to some other players. 
we'll see. Maybe, maybe this is enough to kind of push them forward, knowing the new stadium's coming, all that good stuff. They need an established player. Yeah. They need one. I also saw an Apple Maps screenshot on Twitter that was an hour 20 from North Tampa to St. Pete after the game or St. Pete to North Tampa after the game. So uh, crowd conversation aside, that's a really brutal commute. Um, And it kind of stinks that they're building this beautiful new complex on the same acreage as Tropicana Field. But Uh, 100% that's beside the point. Um, Yeah, man, like the game that is just etched into my brain until they win a world series, to be totally honest, is that Oscar Gonzalez walk off Homer in the 15th last year in a one, nothing game. They can't hit. They can't in any big postseason game. They cannot hit. They rode pitching to the world series in 2020. They can't hit in the postseason. And so, you can platoon your way through a regular season, put guys in positions to succeed, match up well, do those things, ride some depth. That's great. And I know that they didn't have Brandon Lau, and, and I get that. Yeah, but two games and you're done, man. Yeah. I I just – I think they need to look in the mirror and say, okay, like this is the, 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 the Jerry DePoto thing, right? 54%. These are the teams – the 54%, which I get. Like, that's I actually a smart way to run a franchise. It's a great way to keep your job. Yeah. And at the, the playoffs are generally such a crapshoot that if you put yourself in a position to get there with the expanded playoffs every single year, and we'll talk about this more in the offseason, it yeah. is a great approach. One, you shouldn't say it. You can't. You shouldn't acknowledge that. Yeah, no. Like, you, you should want them not to think, say that in your exit meetings after you miss the postseason. That's just a lack of feel. He's That's just a guy that, like, does not have great people skills, I feel right. like, Because that's just not – that's just, like, a weird thing to say, like. You just don't say that. I'm sure that the team was pissed that he said that, like the front office and the ownership. But th- there's a certain level of like, yes, you can approach it that way, but you've got to make your your punches where you need to make your punches. And the Mariners did that. Like they they paid Robbie Ray. They they tried to do it in certain spots. It didn't go great. And that's the thing is like when you try to do those marginal moves to get you to 56%, 57%, that's where you know you, you got to do it right. The Rays never even make those marginal moves. And I guess it's wrong to call it marginal but they never make those moves to kind of push it across the finish line. And, and that's what I want to see. So we'll see what they do this off season. It'll be interesting. Yep. All right. No episode tomorrow, but a preview episode on Saturday morning. That'll be out when you guys wake up. No more of this early afternoon, late morning uh, podcast release here. We will, uh, we'll get that thing all straightened out. Um, get your merch in the episode description, visit our link tree, Um, Hang out with our people at Outlier and at Verse Fantasy. And um, I think that's it from us. We will talk to you guys on Saturday. 